is a uh, Bible conference speaker, uh, author, Bible teacher. Most of her ministry takes place in, in front of uh, groups, sometimes very large groups. I ran across a poem that she wrote recently where God challenged her heart, and in the process of the poem, he challenged my heart. And uh, So I'd like to start here with this poem because I think it sets the stage for what we're going to talk about together this morning. She writes in the in a poem called Wonder, You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at, at the women's club. You know how efforts when I promote I am when I promote a fellowship group. You know how genuine my genuine enthusiasm at the Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed me to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. That was a challenging poem to me. My ministry primarily takes place up in front. And, and it's interesting as we continue this study and later on as we're walking through this study of spiritual gifts, there will be a point where Paul is going to make the statement that it's often those private, those unseen spiritual gifts being used that nobody really knows that are happening that in fact are the most important, the most significant. Paul put it like this. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. We're in a series called Gifted. We are talking about the fact that if you responded to God's offer of that very special gift we call salvation, uh, where, where God offered you and I forgiveness from the things, the sins that had separated us from him, and, and because he wanted restored relationship, I listened to a message, he put it this way, he stepped into our frame. He moved towards us. In fact, Paul will say at one point in, in this very letter that we've been looking at, Romans, that, that uh, we really didn't even want to know him. We, we could have cared less. In fact, some of us were opposed to, at knowing him. We didn't, want, we didn't want to. We didn't want him stepping into our world. And knowing that about us, he did so anyway. Just for the opportunity to offer you and I forgiveness and restored relationship. That's his desire. That's his desire for every person in this room. I hope it's true of you that you've accepted that gift. And you know, there's a thing about gifts. Gifts are, are, it's always the same. When someone offers you a gift, you have to make a decision. You either accept or you reject. And it's the same with this gift. But Paul goes on, and remember who Paul is. Paul, this is a letter he wrote to the church in Rome. Paul, uh, early in his life, uh, prior to uh, the point where he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus face to face, was animately opposed to Christianity, to Jesus' followers, to Jesus himself. He, he, was, he was willing single-handedly, if necessary, to try to wipe it off the face of the earth. He, he 
from what we see in Scripture, probably organized the first follower of Jesus that was killed because of his faith, stoned to death, probably took place under the organization of Paul himself. Saul, he was called Deck, and then as he held the coats of the individuals who stoned Stephen to death. And that was his direction with life until he met the resurrected Jesus and everything changed for Paul. And so Paul began wanting to be one of these person, people that God used to spread the good news of this offer restored relationship throughout the known world. And, and then later on, he would write letters that had become our scriptures, and this is one of the letters. And, and as we walked and as we're walking into this discussion of spiritual gift, Paul lays the groundwork up. You know, when it comes to gifts... Uh, uh, in fact, you can go to Romans 12 if you aren't already in your devices or your Bibles, or if you need a Bible, there's some in the, in the back there. In fact, put your hand up and somebody will bring you one. For the, I think Ron's still back there somewhere, or we'll, we'll get you. But Romans 12 is where we're going. And, and in this passage, Paul has set the stage. He's going to go into this discussion of spiritual gifts, but before he walks into that, he feels like there's some very important groundwork that needs to be laid first. And, you know, there's a thing about gifts. I, probably every family has this person. It may be you, this person that, that actually they can't stand it when a gift is still wrapped up. And, and in our family, as, as my kids grew up, it was, it was our middle daughter, Honey. Drove her nuts. She, she, wanted, she wanted her gifts open. She couldn't, I mean... In fact, we find out later that it was not an uh, unusual thing that she would open them during the night and tape them back up. She got pretty good at that. Uh, and that was, that was normal. But on top of that, she couldn't stand if someone else wasn't opening gifts. Our, our youngest daughter that attends here, Melissa, is kind of one of that neat person that kind of likes it. Oh, and she, Honey could watch about 10 seconds of that. And then she just dived in and helped Melissa get it open because she wasn't going fast enough. And, you know, so that's kind of, it's kind of normal when someone offers a gift to us to, to have the question, well, what is it? We want, we want to know what the gift is. And that's, that's true too. As, you know, I've already had some of you say, okay, you know, what these gifts, what, what are they? What, you know, and, and we're going to talk about, well, how do I know what my gift is? And, and those are all, that's all groundwork we're going to cover. But Paul feels like before we ever get into that discussion, there's some other things that we need to cover. And so we studied, these are the verses we've already looked at the last couple of weeks in chapter 12, where he starts off by saying, therefore I Urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he starts with that. He says, there's some groundwork that we need to, to set. And you know, he kind of asks, he kind of goes this direction. He says, okay, there's a gift offered, but why do you want to know what it is? In fact, he kind of says, before, before you know what it is, you, you need to kind of have this opportunity to decide what your motivation is. What, what is it that you... First it doesn't work, and then it goes twice. <laughs> We're having technical fun here. Take me back a slide if you can, back there, because my thing doesn't want to cooperate. Is it on? Yeah. So, so he says... You know, before you ever talk about what is the gift and how do I find out what mine is, we need to examine our hearts, our motivations. And in this passage, he's saying there should be some things that drive us when we receive our gifts. These are some of the things that should, should motivate us. He says, first of all, God's mercy. He says that unless we have at least a, a bit of a comprehension 
of what it means that the God of all creation moved towards us, stepped into our world because he wanted relationship. And, and so in mercy, what we deserved was his wrath, punishment for our sin. But, his, but in his mercy, he chose for us to have an opportunity to escape all of that and offered us that gift. Of, and so that mercy should be, be what drives us. We respond to God's gift by saying, oh, God, I, I want to serve you. And, and then he goes on, I want to offer myself for your use. Because of that, Lord, what can I do? And, and then he finally says, and you know, we talked two weeks ago about this, that Paul's vantage point of himself, Peter's vantage point, the disciples' vantage point was, I'm a slave serving a master. My life is about Jesus Christ. Now, God called us his children, but, but the apostles said, you know, remember that passage, Paul, and a, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. First and foremost, I'm about my master. Everything about my life, I want to be about my master. So, so that's where Paul began in this, in this conversation, uh, was, was making sure that we had the proper motivation for what we were going to do, the direction we were going to go. Go ahead, next slide. But now he goes into a couple other thoughts. He says, before we dig into the gifts... Just a couple of other thoughts that we need to think through. And he says, uh, so for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. If, and here's kind of what God, he, Paul's saying there. These, these gifts that we're going to be talking about, that you have if you're a follower of Christ, at least one, maybe more, they are so tremendous so powerful, you're going to get the an opportunity to see God do through you things you never imagined. The problem with that is, if we're not careful, if we don't have a handle on our ego, that can become very destructive. Instead of being beneficial, instead of being a good thing, it can become a thing that destroys us and destroys others. We start taking credit where we don't deserve credit. And so, so Paul says we need to get a hold of that eagle. And, and here's, I think this was important to Paul. I think Paul really wanted to make sure, and, and this is probably why for him it had to come up in this conversation, because if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, here, here's how he described himself. And this is his statement about himself prior to Christ. But I think it followed him into being a Christian for a little while. He says, here, here was how I thought of myself. If anyone else thinks he has a reason, reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I don't care who you are, I have more. And, and, and he had this perspective of himself, even in his persecution of Christians, that, you know, I've got things figured out that nobody, the rest of you just aren't smart enough to figure it out. You'll get it eventually. You know, he goes on to describe, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. In other words, I, I knew the law of the Old Testament. I knew from front to back. You ask me chapter verse, I'll just quote it for you, right off the top of my heart, my head. I was, I was a, I knew what tribe from Israel I came from. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, very significant tribe in the Israelite tribes. So he goes on, he says, that was my perspective. But I think it followed him into his, 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 Christianity, when he, when he met Christ and he responded to who Christ was, because right away, in fact, Acts chapter 9 is where it talks about Paul's decision to become a Christ follower. 
And before the chapter's even over, in fact, it seems like almost immediately, as soon as Paul understands who Christ is, suddenly realizes that he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, he immediately says, huh, I need to tell my fellow Jews about this. Because I get it. And I'm smart enough, the rest of you don't quite understand this, but I'm smart enough, I know the laws. In fact, I all, now I realize it's this passage in Isaiah 53 actually was talking about, we kind of skipped that passage because we didn't like the idea of it talked about the suffering, suffering Messiah. We didn't like that, but now I get it, I understand. And so I know if I talk to the Jews, I'll be able to convince them. The rest of you, stand back and watch how it's done. And he started with the Grecian Jews because they were particularly known for being logical. And so he thought, I'm logical. I have very logical arguments now that I understand who Christ is. I'll go in and I'll debate with him. And by the time I'm done, they're going to be saying, you are so wise and smart, Paul. You're right. We need to become followers of Christ too. And so he, he, just, he went to do that. And then how did they respond? Not quite the way he thought. They tried to kill him. In fact, it got so bad that his fellow Christians thought, we got to get him out of town. (laughs) So they get him out of town, and then the Bible records for all of us to read throughout the history of the world that once Paul was out of the picture, the church enjoyed a time of peace. How would you like that to be recorded about you for all of history? And I think it's because that perspective, he thought, he went into, he stepped from not being a follower of Christ to a follower of Christ, but he carried with him this ego, this huge ego, and he sensed that God probably wanted him to be a one who tells the good news, and he was right about that. But the ego had to be controlled or else he was going to cause destruction, and he did there. And, in fact, that wasn't the first time. It took him a couple of tries. And, in fact, I think in the Word of God, it seems like then there comes a point where for 10 years he gets out of the scene, out of the picture. He goes and, and lives with this, this couple that make tent, Apollos and Apollos, and, and they talk to him and teach him. And, and he gains humility, and then later he will write, following up what he saw a moment ago to the Philippian church, here's what I found out. Whatever it was to my prophet, whatever, I used to be all about me. Now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now it's all about him. See, that's, a, that's the danger with these gifts. They're, they, are, they are powerful. They're extraordinary. Very little things that you and I do using our gift might, might blow up to be huge. We never even anticipate, but they, they, and so if we're not careful, and I've got to tell you, pastors are susceptible about this, so susceptible to this. Man, our, our, we can take credit for things we have no right taking credit for. We can, we can become all about ourselves and, and wanting to promote the things that kind of point back. And so I, I'm speaking to myself here, but Paul says, before, before we even talk about the gifts and, and dig in, make sure, get, get track of this. It's not about you, it's not about me. God may do some things that are just unbelievable to you through you. So really be careful that you remember who it's about and who is doing it. It's not you. It's not me. So, so he starts there he, with this warning. These gifts can be inflated, can cause inflated and destructive eagles. Beware. And then he goes on. He said, there's another part of this, though. 
he goes on, he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. And, and this sober means have a realistic perspective. But, you know, there's another side of this cone. E- eagle or problem. There's eagle's a problem or a danger. But the other side's just as bad. This underestimating the importance of, of you and your spiritual gift, that can also cause damage. And, and I suspect this is a bigger problem in the body of Christ. Too many of us sit there and say, you know, I, I'm not an upfront person. You know, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm an introvert. I got, I got nothing to contribute. I, I can't do it. And, and with the assumption that everything's about being up front, like I said, Paul's going to come back and say, no, the, really the bigger, the bigger things, the things that cause more than you realize are the ones that no one else sees even, but they're having a tremendous impact. But, you know, so, so we get this perspective, if we're not careful, where we say, I have nothing to offer, so I'm not going to offer anything. And he says, that's a danger. That's not a sober, that's not a right perspective about yourself either. So, so both of these sides are, are really important for us to begin. And it's still, it comes back to, to even in that side, you've made it about you. I've made it about me. And he says, it's not about us. It's about God. And so there's this warning as we step into this conversation. Don't allow your gift to be misused to feed, feed your ego. In fact, be aware of that, that that's a real possibility because I got to tell you, you know, there are things that God will take this little thing that you think really didn't mean much and make it so much bigger than that. And, and, and then it's kind of really easy to start saying, yeah, I, I forgot. I, well, I am pretty cool, aren't I? Or the other side, don't underestimate your significance of the health and well-being of the church. You know, these gifts, he's going to talk about this. Well, in fact, before we end this message, we'll get into a little bit of when, when even one of us decides that our gift isn't important to be enough to be used, we have nothing to offer. It's harmful to the entire body. He'll give an illustration of that that's pretty powerful. So that's where he starts. But then he goes on. He says, adds this statement. And, and, and when we use these gifts, it's in accordance with the measure of, the fa- of faith God has given you. And, and what he's saying there is, again, our perspective sometimes can be what I have to offer is so small that it really, it's not going to really be missed if it's not used, and, and it's not going to accomplish much. And he says, no, that's not the way you look at these things. We don't look at this from the perspective of uh, what I can do. It's, it's from the perspective of what God can do. So don't limit ourselves to what we think is possible. Don't fool ourselves to thinking, my, my what I can contribute is too small to really matter, because that's not the truth. I want to tell you a, a, a true story to drive this home. How many of you have heard of Edward Kimball? Raise your hand. Me neither. <laughs> Let me tell you about Edward. Edward Kimball was a very shy man. We today in today's term an introvert. He it. He panicked if, when he had to talk to people. He kind of, he's one of those guys that, you know, he'd see coming down the hall, he'd, he'd move the other direction, and you're thinking, what did I ever do to this guy? And it wasn't that at all. He just, he was so uncomfortable with speaking. And, you know, Edward went to a church, and uh, this church had a desperate need for someone to teach this class, this class of, of uh, uh, young boys, just a couple of boys, but, and they asked him to do it because they needed him to do it, and, and uh, so he did, but man, he, he really felt out of his element, and, and probably was, quite frankly. In fact, uh, 
he was, pro- he was such a poor teacher, especially this one. This one kid started attending his class named Dwight, and, and Dwight would come and sit in the chair, and Edward would start teaching, and, and Dwight would go. <laughs> Every class, he'd fall asleep, and he slept through the whole class. And, and uh, you know, and, and Dwight had his own story. Uh, little Dwight was, uh, when he was four years old, his dad died, obviously rocked his world. And, and his mom did the best she could at, at raising him. He, you know, and, but by the time he was in fifth grade, it was obvious that school and, and Dwight did not go together. And so she, she took Dwight out of school as a fifth grade. He went only made through fifth grade. And she sent him to Chicago to live with his uncle. And, and basically, his, he was, and this is a few years back, his uncle was going to find him a job uh, so he'd have a little bit of an income. And, and so his uncle found him a job in a, a shoe store Working, for, working, selling shoes. And, but one requirement that his uncle had was if you live in my house, you go to church on Sunday. And so that's why Dwight was at Edward's class on Sundays. He didn't want to be there. He was tired. He wasn't interested in this religious junk. So he took advantage. He thought, okay, I can at least catch up on sleep. And so every Sunday, he would fall asleep. And uh, part of that was tiredness. Part of that was Dwight's teaching, or Edward's teaching. Well, God started putting on Edward's heart, this boy Dwight. And he knew, in fact, Dwight was, several of the boys in his class were just really from troubled backgrounds. And, but he was just so concerned about Dwight. He could tell there was just no interest in God. And so one day God impressed Edward on Edward's heart that he needed to go down to the shoe store where Dwight worked and talk to him about Jesus when he was awake, you know. So he went down, just, just so you know how shy he was, he, he stood outside the door of the shop forever, because he couldn't get up the nerve. And this is a boy. He's a man. He's going to go talk to a boy. But he, he can't get up the nerve to go in and talk to Dwight. And he kept kind of, you know, doing this thing. And finally, he just did it. He went through the door. And, and he went in and he found Dwight. And he said, I got to tell you something. And he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. But by Edward's own testimony, he did such a crummy job of it that he was absolutely convinced that Dwight didn't understand a bit of it. He left that day feeling like a total failure. I totally messed that up. That kid will never want to hear me talk again. That was his perspective. But he didn't mess it up because it wasn't about him. It was about God. And Dwight did hear that message. And that day he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And it was interesting Almost immediately, because of Dwight's background, because he was one of those lost boys, no father, he had a bunch of friends that were just like that. And as soon as Dwight came to know the Lord, he had this passion for, I got friends that need to know the Lord. And so he started getting together with them. Remember, he had a fifth grade education, and he realized, I need to learn things. So he started studying the Bible, and then he started reading other books to help him. And, and so then he'd gather his friends together, and, and he would talk to them about the Bible. And and then those friends kept bringing other friends and bringing other friends. And by 1860, Dwight's Sunday morning little group of guys had a 1,000 people attending on a Sunday. And kids were bringing their parents now to hear this guy because, because here's this little ignorant, fifth-grade educated boy, self-taught, but he's, te- he's teaching in a way that people just can't believe it and they want to hear him. And, and, and soon that... that little group that grew to a thousand became a church called Moody Chapel. And Dwight Moody's who we're talking about. 
But that's not the end of the story because Dwight Moody became well-known. People were flocking to hear him. And in fact, he, he had this, since he had grown up without an education pretty much, except his self-taught, he, he really had this passion. He thought, you know, I, I got all these young boys and, and they don't have anyone teaching them and a lot of them, don't, no one cares. And, and, and I can teach them the Word of God. So he said, I'm going to start a school. So he started a school and it started with boys and eventually became boys and girls. And, and he thought, you know, I, I need to make this cheap for them to go to because these kids don't have any money. So it, 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 he said, we'll make it tuition-free some of them are going to need to live someplace, so we'll gather funds. And, and so Moody Bible Institute came out of that and is going to today. And still, if you're a Bible st- student there, you're, you go tuition-free. You pay for room and board, but you go tuition-free all these years later. And, and Moody's name became known, in fact, to the point where one time, he, one day he was asked to go across the sea, across the ocean, to, to preach in Europe. They wanted him over there. And so he went across there and and uh, the, the folks that had him come lined up some churches for him to preach in. And one of the churches he was lined up to preach in was a church of a man called named F.B. Meyer. Now, F.B. Meyer uh, was already a pastor, and, but he had an attitude. He, he didn't like these American preachers that would come over and do this preaching circuit thing. And the only reason did it, he let it happen at his church, probably because the denomination made him. And so he let Moody preach at his church, but he wasn't. In fact, his description of these American preachers is they're unlettered men. They're uneducated. And, and Moody probably definitely fit what he knew about him. That was definitely the case with Moody. And so he really wasn't happy about it. But, but he let Moody come, and Moody preached. And when he heard him preach... He recognized something's going on here that's not about this man. It's, it's a God thing. And so he had him preach some more, and they became friends. In fact, they become, became really good friends to the point where after Moody had been there for a while, it was time for him to go back to the States, and, and, he, and he said to F.B. Meyer, he said, would you come back with me? I have, some, I have to speak at some events and things on uh, when I get back to America. I would like you to join me and preach with me at those events. And and so F.B. Meyer said, yeah, I would love to do that opportunity. And so he went back, and together they began to preach this preaching circuit, preaching the Word of God, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. In, in one of the meetings where F.B. Meyer was preaching, in fact, he was famous. He would make this statement usually towards the end of his message. He'd say, if you're not willing to give everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? He said, start there, you know. Maybe you're not willing to say today, I'm your slave, you're my master, it's all yours, but can you at least pray, Lord, make me willing. I'd like to have that kind of a heart. And sitting in, in the audience one night when he made that statement was, oops, let me go back one, a man named J. Wilbur Chapman. And, and, uh, Wilbur was already a believer, <coughs> but his life was really no go, not going anywhere. He kind of Filled the church pew. And, and when he heard Myers make that statement, he thought, I need to pray that. And so he did. He said, Lord, I'm not willing to give everything to you today. But I am willing to be made willing. So if that's your heart for me, make me willing. And God honored that prayer. And the day came when Chapman thought, you know, God wants me to start telling people about 
the good news, and he began to share it, and group, groups began to grow, and pretty soon he was speaking these big events as well as, as God continued to use him. In fact, one night when he was speaking, a, a professional baseball player was attending that night, and this, this professional baseball player had quite the wet reputation, and it wasn't a good reputation. And I suspect he was probably there partly because he had tried, you know, his life up to that point, although he had accomplished great things in the, in the area of baseball, <clears throat> things were falling apart. He was self-destructing, and he realized that, and so he thought, maybe God's what I need to hear about. And so he went, and as he heard Chapman speak, he responded to that message and invited Christ to be his Savior. And, and then God, because of this, here he's, you know, he's well-known, he has this, this avenue, and so he begins to share his testimony. Just tell his story, and, and big groups wanted to hear him because he was a you know, famous baseball player, so he would share his story, and and as he shared his story, lots of people would come to Christ. And so he began speaking around, and, and you know, he kind of fell over his head. So he had a really good friend uh, that he, he thought, you know, I need some help. So he asked Mordecai Ham, he said, would you come with me and help me present the, the good news and preach at these, at these uh, meetings? So Mordecai said, yeah. And so they began to preach together. And, and one of their first venues was they went down to North Carolina, and they were preaching these, a series of meetings down in North Carolina. And it was disastrous. Nothing seemed to happen. It just seemed like, you know, God wasn't there. People were not responding. He could, you know, he'd, they, were, they were presenting this and preaching, and Mordecai Ham was, and, and it's like the glassy-eyed stares of like, oh boy, is this guy ever going to get done? So one night after a meeting, he, he went back to his room. And he got down on his knees, and he said, Lord, if you just touch one life, one heart, at least I'll know I'm here for a reason. So the next evening when he got up to preach, he began to preach. And, and that, that night, uh, this high school kid was there, and he heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And Billy Graham accepted the Lord. And you know the rest of that story. But remember, because Paul says, our gifts are not about us. And they're not limited to us. They're about our faith in, in what God can accomplish. Because this all started with Edward Kimball, a man so shy that he didn't feel like he had anything to offer and was afraid to even speak, even to a little group of boys. And God took the fact that he went through with what God told him to do, and it felt like he failed miserably, and God took him and touched all these. And in fact, you can't even count the lives that have been touched now through his ministry. And so Paul says, when we talk about these gifts, we cannot frame them in, in the framework of who we are what we think we can accomplish. They have to be framed in the framework of who our God is. And, and yours might be one of those feet washing behind closed doors, and you think nobody sees it, and it's not making a difference, and he's saying, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He goes on then. He says, just as each of you has one body with many members, and these, are mem and these members do not all have the same function, so 
in Christ, we who are many, us, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. See, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about, boy, I, I'm this gift. I, you know, God, what are you going to do for me when I use my gift? No, it's about others. It's about serving. That's why he moves into this process, he said. In fact, I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of the body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? And I don't know about you, but I hope when you heard that, some of us winced inside. Because, you know, some of you have been through that, for one thing. But it's like, oh, man, that hurts just to even think about it. And he's saying that's what it's like, because we are a body. That's why he used that analogy. We're like a body, and if even one member decides that it's not worth being used, worth getting its gift out and, and, and using it, one, just one member, even if it's a little toe, not only does it do damage to the whole body, but maybe without realizing it, we start withering up and dying. And so this is such an important... Paul said this groundwork needs to be laid before we dig into the spiritual gifts, which Lord willing now will do. I remember uh, years ago reading a story, not too, too long ago actually, uh, of a young mother and four children and their daddy had just died from cancer. And, you know, one of those where, boy, he was so young and these little kids and this mom's by herself. And, and so she was walking through, and the kids were there walking through all, uh, leading up the funeral, all the decisions that have to be made that you're not expecting to make when you're that young of a family. And she's kind of in shock, frankly, you know. And it came the day of the funeral and she's trying to get the kids <clears throat> dressed and, and together and and there comes a knock to her door, and her immediate thought was, oh, why would somebody come this morning of all morning? I'm just trying to hold myself together. I don't, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't need this. And, and she, and she, but she went to the door, and she opened the door, and, and right outside the door stood a man who was uh, one of the men from her church. And he had a box under his arm, and he said, uh, ma'am, he said, uh, I've come me to polish your shoes for the funeral. It's really interesting when she said that. When he said that, she remembered her husband always had done that. Sunday night, that was his routine, was get the shoes together and polish them so they'd look sharp on Sunday. And, and, and it wasn't even a radar. She totally forgot about that. And, she said, and he said, just have your kids bring me. I'll, I'll go over in that room. Just don't let me bother you, but bring their shoes, and, and I'll get them polished up. And so he polished all the shoes and set them out in the hallway, and then he went, let himself out and went home. <laughs> Several weeks went by, and... and uh, this young mom was visiting with her friend who had come over to check on her. And, and they're kind of talking about everything. And, and this friend had this insightful question. She said to this young mom, she says, as you've walked through them, now we're a little ways past it. You know, just from my own perspective, so that I know how to minister to others who go through loss. She says, what was the most significant thing that happened to you during that whole process? And she said it was when that man came to our door, didn't say anything, just polished his shoes. Insignificant. No big deal. Baloney. So this is an important conversation. And here's my challenge to you as we 
move into this discussion now of the gifts as we move, and I'd say this week, make this a priority. Lord, I'm not sure I'm willing to give everything. But I'm willing to be made willing. Don't let me fool myself into thinking that what I have to offer because of your gift doesn't matter because it does. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. You you have this window into our heart that astounds us. You know, you know, even as we dig into these gifts that some of us are already already walking through this argument with ourselves and with you of why we aren't really important enough to even want, even care to have this discussion because what can we do, Lord? And you've reminded us this morning that that's not what it's about. It's what you can do and want to do and will do through us. In fact, things so huge that if we're not really careful, our ego can get out of hand. And so you warned us about that as well. And Lord, I so appreciate your word and that you help us think these things through. Help us to pray this through now as we walk through the week ahead. That our heart will be, Lord, I am willing to be made willing. I do want to serve you. I do love you and show me how you want to use me. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.